0: You're listening to a 95BFM podcast. Welcome back to Ashburton. We're uh, about ready to stop
1: now. It's political commentary. With Dr. Lara Greaves this morning. Kia ora, Lara. How are you?
0: More than, I mean, it's thing after thing at the moment, isn't
1: it? <laughs> it, re- it really is, it really is. I hope you and your whānau have been okay this week in the old, floody, stormy nonsense that we've seen across the Mottu. Yeah, so they're one of,
0: those, one of those lots that doesn't have, they don't have power, and they don't really have very good communication. Mm. But they're the kind of people who could survive in the bush for a month, so I'm all good with that. (laughs) Cool,
1: okay, well that's a silver lining then, I guess. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. that's that thing, and and even talking to people from rural communities for work yesterday, um, some people from Taihape, they were like, "Mm, we're not like Aucklanders, we can survive. I'm like,
1: okay. (laughs) (laughs) Good, well that is what we like to hear. Hey, it has been a crazy time, and I mean, uh, there's lots of conversations I guess to get stuck into about the cyclone and the response to it, but I think, let's Start with looking a little bit at, I guess, the political response, since this is political commentary. What, what do you think we are going to see, I guess, be some of the political effects of what uh, we're experiencing at the moment?
0: Yeah, so when you actually look at the academic literature, and a lot of us did look at this when it came to COVID and how opposition should react, especially in light of Simon Bridges being widely panned that time for whacking up that quite negative press release on his Facebook, and then <laughs> that was the beginning of the end for him. So that kind of led to a lot of us to questions of, OK, so what does effective leadership look like in a crisis and effective opposition look like in a crisis? Mm. And the other thing is, is if you look at the experts in the area, like Professor Bronwyn Hayward at Canterbury, is saying we're going to have crisis all the time. It's going to become a new normal. And a lot of Maori academics like Professor Dominic O'Sullivan have been saying similar thing, is that you've got to be really careful that we don't use crisis politics to push along all sorts of weird agendas. So then what does our new normal look like? I have no idea, but I know for the time being that opposition politicians in a crisis are best off from all of the academic work falling in line being productive like not creating unnecessary drama like not being particularly outspoken not trying to push policies just falling in line and realizing that this is not a time that they can Mm. go further up in the polls it's not a time of opposition for opposition's sake
1: so what do you think our current opposition has has been i guess performing like if that's the metric
0: I would say that they generally have been falling into line and and doing what they need to do. I think that Christopher Luxon's still doing quite a lot of media, so he's been caught up a few times in um, discussions, for example, on the AM show about all sorts of, I just keep seeing headlines of various things that he said, but he could potentially lay low. They tend to be backing things that Labour are coming up with around the... um, the forest, review of the forestry practices in the in the Tehrasati area um, and backing all those sorts of measures and initiatives. I think where we're seeing a bit of differentiation there, though, is the ACT Party and the ACT parties wanting to return to Parliament. And I don't necessarily see what they're trying to do there. I think that might just be their position, that they want Parliament to get back underway. But also I think ACT and in the in the sort of spectrum of opposition do try to represent a group of people that are just disgruntled and a bit more oppositional Mm. so it's hard to say exactly what they're doing there but it does feel like they're trying to represent a small group of people who actually do just want politics and and do want to like you know give the politicians a kick Mm. regardless of whatever's happening.
1: What do we think this is going to mean for climate change being at the, hopefully, the forefront of an agenda heading into an election yet? Is that something that, is it too much to think that we might finally see it be a, a central topic? Or or what's your, your take on where climate change is going to sit in the political conversation this year?
0: What the various sort of studies that have been monitoring environmental attitudes over the years, like the Attitude and Value Study, the World Value Study, the Election Study, all of those, Studies the kind of monitoring things in the background have been showing is that people are viewing climate change as an increasingly important problem. I mean, it's clear that we're seeing more of the effects of it, so that really makes sense. And but there are not as there are not so many people who it's like their number one issue, and they do wonder, especially now we're kind of more post-pandemic politics, although of course COVID's still here, mm. that people might start to rate climate change among their bigger issues or their top issue, that that might be happening. There's also a big generational difference there where millennials and Gen Zers. the millennials now being 40, um, so really like middle-aged to be honest, um, that Now millennials and Gen Zers are taking over a larger proportion of the voters just with the natural sort of replacement that happens of ageing, that that issue may become more important. But um, it's still... Generally, in voter polls, it's still, we haven't seen it necessarily got there, but I wouldn't be surprised if in something like the New Zealand election study that we saw a greater proportion of people, like maybe as much as 15%, you know, 20%, say the climate's their big issue.
1: Well, we've talked a wee bit about the opposition and how they've been, I guess, behaving. What about the actual government? Especially, you know, we've got a new Prime Minister. This is his first crisis. The last Prime Minister had quite a few to handle. So how do you think Chris Hipkins is managing so far?
0: Well, look, we haven't seen him do anything that everyone can point to as being bad. Like, I feel like that's probably what you need to do in a crisis is be there, be solid, like work hard, show up to a lot of places. Like there's to be photos of you like doing things, like we've seen Wayne Brown kind of pivot from that initial, you know, he did manage to screw up in a crisis, Wayne Brown did, through to like him helping throw the boxes and saying that he was going out to to help fix the (laughs) stormwater drains. So that's kind of what you need to be seen as doing things and kind of announcing appropriate support, And that that's really just what you do mm. in a crisis. And that's just what Hipkins has done. I think the other thing to think about is if National were in charge, what would have happened? Similar things. Luxon, Willis, whoever it was, would have showed up to various areas. They would have looked concerned. They would have announced some support. And that's just... Our sort of norms, our sort of social political norms in New Zealand for crisis leadership.
1: Well, speaking of leadership, let's talk about co-governance because I, I guess that sort of does have a new meaning in the in the light of a, a you know a, an immediate crisis. But we've also heard a lot of conversation about that in the last year when it comes to things like Three Waters, and then we have had Waitangi in the last week as well, and that's been a really interesting time for maybe a. Uh, a government reframing of that language and also a a real uh, I guess return to what does co-governance actually mean it's a big conversation but what are you I guess focusing on at the moment what's standing out to you from that
0: well, co governance in this whole debate at the moment kind of makes me want to scream and then disengage and just go hang out outside and not follow <laughs> politics. Because it's at this point of frustration where, where it's starting to come back to is, so and this is like an open question for everyone, is whose responsibility is it to educate voters on a huge policy issue that's important to our constitution? Mm. It's like, so to some extent, yeah, it's the education system. To some extent, it's, it's us ourselves. We should Google. To some extent, it's like going and listening to what politicians are saying and reading their policies and that sort of thing. So there's like a whole bunch of things that could you know, potentially educate us in this area. But what's ended up happening here is I think there's, there's this idea of this thing called park paralysis by Alex Hotere-Barnes and it's like whenever anything's kind of Marty, kind of complicated, a lot of Pākehā go, oh, no, I can't think or touch or look at or think about all of those things. And that's a little bit of what's happened. So I've, I've seen professors in politics kind of go, oh, I don't know what it means. Like, mm. what does it mean they need to tell us? And it's like, no, but you can Google it. It's not, it's not <laughs> yeah. too hard to find. Um, but I do think there are legitimate concerns around the the use of the term co-governance. I mean, both Ben Thomas and Chris Finlayson, men of the right, have come out um, and said that it's not the right term, that co-management was actually a better term and a better term in the context of something like free waters because, like, the term governance just means, like, governance boards. So, you know, like, Air New Zealand has a governance board, not government, and that's where a lot of the confusion has arisen. But ultimately, it is a bit like there's just so much misinformation about it that it keeps coming up and going round and round and then coming up and going round and then now it's like also things have escalated so if anyone's seen the debate um, sort of debate more yelling match between David Seymour and Rawiri Waititi on the AM show and now they're like sniping at one another on social media and oh it just ends up being like incredibly frustrating Mm. and completely unproductive
1: oh it's an exhausting conversation isn't it well I'm I'm sure this will not be the last time we talk about it this political year as well. But thank you so much for your time this morning, Lara. Uh, there's lots to get stuck into and there's lots happening around the more too as well. So thank you for joining us to help us wade through it. Uh, have a great thank- rest of your week. Thank you. Kilda. Kilda. We just heard a bit of political commentary.
0: That was a 95BFM podcast. Support 95BFM with a B-card. Go to 95BFM.com slash sign up.